This is an ABC podcast. Hello, I'm Lisa Leong. Welcome to This Working in Life. This week's confession, I experiment with my own body and brain. It's sometimes called biohacking, using science and technology to make my body and brain function better. Why would I do this, you ask? In 2014, at the age of 42, I suffered a really massive health scare. I was working in corporate, I was travelling a lot, it was really an intense time. And when I went on holidays, my body fell over. I got shingles. Mine was bad, I got nerve damage from the shingles and I was bedridden for quite a long time and I thought, oh, this is a wake-up call. What happens if I don't go back to work? I did manage to recover though, but I made myself a promise and that is to put health first. So I may have taken this a little bit too far, but for the past two years, I have been playing around with different techniques to supercharge myself. But the problem is my morning routine takes so long that it's about midday by the time I'm ready for work. So I really need to sort through the hacks. I need to know the science. Is it solid or am I wasting my time? What are some of the hacks that I'm doing that might be good for me or might be bad for me? And let's sort of sort through them. So I recruited Jo Khan. Jo is a science journalist with ABC Online and she's putting her body on the line for us. We are going to look at three hacks today and here's hack number one. We'll talk about the science in just a moment. So this is the biohack that I'm probably least looking forward to trying. A cold shower in the morning. I'm going to start it off at a normal temperature and then at the end of the shower turn the hot water off and try and do that for 30 seconds. I definitely feel alive and awake, but um, I don't know, it's hard to see how that will last throughout the day, even if it does have a short, a short impact. I wonder if I'll ever be able to do it for longer than 30 seconds. <laughs> Joe Khan, welcome back to the studio. Hi, Lisa. You're looking fresh. Did yes. you do it this morning? Very briefly. And then I decided, no, that's enough of that for me. So how brief were we talking? <laughs> well, for the for the week or so that I did the cold showers, I started, I think that first time was about 20, 25 seconds. And by the end of it, I could get maybe 40 seconds, but I didn't push it any further than that. And you mentioned that you did feel invigorated. Was there anything else that happened? 
Not really. The initial feeling, I mean, you heard that sharp intake of breath, which is the initial reaction. And then once you get out of the shower, I felt really awake and had lots of, had lots, definitely had felt like I had energy uh, more so than I would if it was a warm shower, but certainly no other positive feeling. And how long did it last for, that feeling of being focused and invigorated? Well, the interesting thing that I found was that it, it lasted right up until I went and got on the train. And so I commute for about 30 minutes to get to work on the train. And I found that as soon as I was in that carriage, and it's always busy, and it's quite warm, and I started feeling like kind of sleepy because it was nice and cosy. And so it, I felt like it didn't really last that long. Let's go to the science. What did you find? Okay, so a cold shower. Well, the first thing that happens when that cold water hits your body is besides the sharp intake of breath, <laughs> Shock. is your, the blood vessels in your skin contract and, and push a lot of the blood back to your core. And so what that can do is, uh, well, your, your heart rate can drop a little bit and then it increases the activity of your sympathetic nervous system, which is the, the flight or fight response that we have. Oh. Yeah. And so then you get an increase in some hormones in your blood, so cortisol and adrenaline as well. And This is not sounding very positive, though, so keep on going. Well, what that can contribute to is that feeling of, of energy because if you get a little rush of adrenaline, then you're sort of, you know, feeling alive and awake and, and alert to what's happening around you. Is there any solid research on the effect of cold showers? In terms of how it might affect your your everyday, your workday, for example, there was one study that I found that actually looked at 3,000 people, which was a lot more than most of the studies that have been done. And what they found that the people who had a 30-second, 60-second or 90-second cold shower in the morning had a 30% reduction in taking sick leave from work. And that was compared to just having a normal shower. But they also found that people who had regular exercise found the same thing. So there's some, you know, there's some different factors at play there about, you know, what was working the best. And, and we do know that exercise is an important part of, you know, energy levels and sleeping well as well. Was there any difference between taking a 30-second shower, by the way, and a 90-second shower? No, there problem? wasn't, interestingly. Does it have any long-term effects? For athletes... Yes, they've shown that it, it can lead to better recovery after intense exercise. But in terms of your general health for somebody who isn't a professional athlete, for example, there really isn't that much evidence into a long-term effect. So yes, there might be that sort of instant physiological and even mental um, effect, but, but long-term, not really. I have another question. The reason why I came to cold showers was because of something called the Wim Hof Method. It's to do with breathing and cold showers or cold therapy. Did you look into that at all? Well, interestingly, this, this particular study, the authors of this did the study in the first place because they had heard about the Wim Hof Method and it was becoming very popular. And they also say that the reason they got so many people to take part in the study was because of the popularisation of the Wim Hof method. There is some very limited research that looks specifically as the techniques used in that, uh, in that area, um, but not very much. And some of the science is very limited to uh, Wim Hof, the man himself. Did you try the breathing? 
I didn't try the breathing. I only did the cold shower on its own. Well, I'll get you to do that next time. So I do it on and off. If I do the cold shower, I do the breathing first. It helps with the approach to the cold shower. So that's my hot tip for a cold shower for you, Joe. And we would suggest that if you do any of these hacks that you should definitely work with your general practitioner, as I did before I started introducing some of these wild and wonderful biohacks. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I guess we're just talking about the cold water that's in your tap coming out of your shower. And so we're not talking about uh, icy water or anything like that. And the main downside, which is also partly why some people do it, is overcoming that discomfort and that challenge of doing it in the first place. Like a lot of people really like that mental challenge of withstanding the uncomfortable temperature and feeling in your body, even just for a short time. So if you do push it further, then there are the risks of hypothermia and loss of feeling in your extremities, your hands and feet, that sort of thing. Let's move to biohack number two, blue blockers. I'm going to try the blue light blocking glasses for the first time. They actually just look like normal glasses, but the lenses are orange. With these blue light blocking glasses, I'm supposed to wear them pretty much as soon as the sun goes down and then wear them all evening until I go to bed. And the idea is that it blocks out uh, blue light and bright light, which would otherwise keep me awake when I try and go to sleep. Okay, I'm going to put them on. And the world is now orange. I don't know whether I'm going to notice any difference, but supposedly I might be able to sleep a bit better if I wear these before bed. Or maybe I should just stop looking at my phone when I'm in bed. That's probably a solution as well. I'm with Jo Khan. She's a science journalist with ABC Online. I'm Lisa Leong, and you're listening to This Working Life. How did it go for you? What was the experience like? A bit uncomfortable, to be honest. Uncomfortable? I found it so strange and I think it was just I'm not used to having my vision disrupted in any way and I felt quite disoriented with the colours all changed and chopping vegetables and stuff, it felt, like, felt a bit weird. I was like, oh, I can't quite see what I'm doing. I mean, even though it doesn't impair your vision in terms of the outlines and, and shapes of things, it's, it's just the colour, it still really kind of got in my head and I felt a bit uneasy about it. Are you a good sleeper? On and off. Did you notice any changes with your sleep improving or otherwise? I, I don't think so. And I mean, have to be said, I only did it for a relatively short amount of time. I'll share my experience. I am a shocking sleeper. It's only happened recently. Often it's because my mind is very active. And when I started wearing the blue blocking glasses, so I wear them at sunset and then I wear them in the morning, I get up very early and then so I'll wear them for the first hour until the sun rises. I found that it profoundly changed my sleep. I do look strange and I try not to go out at night anymore, but for me, it's, it's made a, a big change. Tell me about the signs. So I guess we have to go back to what is blue light? Because we hear that term a lot now, um, particularly people associate it with coming from our devices, our screens, computers, smartphones. But blue light is completely natural. It's um, a higher energy, shorter wavelength of the visible light spectrum. So it's just part of the light that we see outside every day. And blue light is highest in the morning and in the middle of the day uh, from the sun. And it's actually a really important part of our health because 
when you get light in the morning, it, it kickstarts your body and your body recognises the cells in your eyes capture that light and recognise that it's day and so that helps you wake up and get going. Is this related to circadian rhythm? Yes, that's right. There's these really special cells in your eye that detect blue light and they're linked to the, the master clock of your body and every single cell in your body has a clock in it and it's these blue light, it's these light receptors in your eye that set that clock basically. Aha. Uh -huh. So in modern day, because we have lights, which are artificial lights and they're um, predominantly in that blue light spectrum, and because we use our phones and devices sometimes later than we should, does that affect our circadian rhythms then? Yes. So our body normally, if we were just, say, camping, for example, for a weekend, when the sun goes down, that tells your body that it's time to start getting ready for bed. Sleepy and time. That's right. And it triggers the release of melatonin, which, which helps you sleep. So by exposing ourselves to blue light after the sun has gone down, we're prolonging that release and sometimes, you know, preventing it. And that can really disrupt our sleep-wake cycle. So let's face it, I could turn off all the lights and have dinner by candlelight or go camping a lot and I could not look at my mobile phone. So that is one option. But instead, I've chosen to put these blue light blockers on. There's so many different types on the market. Generally, is there any science behind wearing lenses? Is that going to help? Very little science. There is some research and you have to... Remember, it's still a relatively new concept that scientists are starting to grapple with. Yeah, I live on the edge. So <laughs> I know that's what you I'm do. Saying. Yeah. Um, but but the research that has been done has looked at people who have sleep problems and whether that can be a factor. Whether, sorry, whether the blue light blockers could help improve their condition. But at this stage, the studies that have been done are still really really small and aren't um, sort of rigorous in their methods yet. You're going to continue? Not with the blue blockers. Okay. Let's go to hack number three then. Wearing earbuds that emit light waves. So instead of sound waves going in your ear, it's basically shining a light into your brain. I do it for jet lag. I also do it to fight the winter blues and to increase my energy levels. And definitely for jet lag, I have felt the effects of it. The thinking behind it is that we have photoreceptors um, in our brain and so shining a light through our ears will somehow activate that. So this is the blue light that we were talking about but doing it in the mornings. Now Joe, I think you have a special guest for us. I do. So to help us look at the science of whether these light emitting earbuds work, we're going to talk to ABC science editor Jonathan Webb who is also a neuroscientist. G'day, g'day. Can I start with the premise that I heard that we have photoreceptor proteins in our brain so it's not just coming through our eyes? That does seem to be the case and it's, it's not hugely unusual. There are photoreceptors, um, cells that can sense light in other parts of the body apart from the eyes, certainly in other animals. You look at octopuses and the way they change their skin uh, and camouflage themselves based on what light is around. Their skin is basically full of photoreceptors. I'm not sure how many we have in our own skin, but there does seem to be some evidence that's scattered throughout the brain, not just in the eyes, but kind of deep inside the brain. There are some of these molecules that can sense light. It's unclear exactly what they're doing, but they do seem to be there and presumably that's for a reason. And 
do you think we can reach them by putting light through our ears? What does the science say, Jonathan? So there are a few papers about this idea. Some of them have, have suggested that, yeah, you, you, we should be able to shine enough light in that there is some sort of processing of it in through the the ear canal. Most of that handful of papers come from uh, the same group in Finland, and that is also where one of the, the companies comes from that is spruiking these earbuds. So, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't say there's a whole lot of science behind this particular technique. And, and the main thing I would say is that we, we don't really know what that circuit is that it would be working from, right? Whereas by contrast, within our, our eyes, we know really well, and Joe explained this, it's been really well studied. And so this idea of trying to find another way in and finding this other hack through the ears seems to me like they may be overthinking the problem and they may, <laughs> they, they may also have just spied a business opportunity. Was there anything to add in terms of our discussion about circadian rhythms and what you've found to be effective? Because at the end of the day, it was about how do I make sure that my circadian rhythms uh, are the best they can be so that I can have a good sleep at night and feel energy during the day? Yeah, absolutely. And if you find that something works for you, as long as it's not costing you too much, there's no reason not to do it. It's just hard to tell from a hard-headed scientific perspective whether it's the, the intervention that's making a difference or whether it's the placebo effect, of course. That's the um, confounding factor. But I have to say, at least with the glasses, there's a very plausible mechanism by which they might be acting, right? We know how the circuit goes from the retina into the clock in the brain and how that's all working, whether or not that specific technology has been well tested, I don't know. But the shining light through the ears seems a bit more out there. But, you know, if you reckon it works for you, there's no reason to stop doing it. And talking to you two proper scientists, I'm a failed scientist. So I did science at uni. I had to do every experiment twice and I had the lab evacuated once for a bad experiment. <laughs> I would love your verdict on how I'm going because I do about 20 hacks in the morning. I don't think I'm doing it as a proper scientific experiment. What do you think, Joe? Well, if you're doing 20 of these different things, <laughs> if we think about it like a, a medical trial, for instance, it's like trying 20 different drugs at once. <laughs> so it's it's very hard to pinpoint if, if one particular thing is working. But if you're feeling good because you're trying all these different I'm things... I'm feeling great, Joe. Go I'm for beaming. it. I'm beaming. I'm <laughs> beaming light energy at you. Jonathan? What I would say with you and your morning routine of 20 different hacks, I mean, as long as it's not taking too much out of your day otherwise, right, if it's not having other negative impacts on your life, then fill your boots, go for it. But, <laughs> you know, the way to really tease it out uh, as much as you can when there's only one of you would be to just say, all right, for the next two weeks, I'm going to stop doing this one thing and see if that makes a difference. And if you've got enough rotations through the 20 weeks to go through all of your 20 <laughs> hacks, you know, try and work out for yourself which ones are uh, making the difference. Thank you so much. No worries. Dr Jonathan Webb, ABC's science editor, and Jo Khan, science journalist for ABC Online, putting her body on the line. But wait, there's more. We ran the research filter over more biohacks, including cryotherapy. Just search for This Working Life and Biohacks in your podcast app. And while you're there, make sure you subscribe so that you can get a new show delivered to your inbox each and every week. And don't forget to leave us a review. I read them all. Lisa's Little Tips.
Yes, it's Lisa's little tip time where we get all practical on you and we get some hot tips from Karen Gately, our leadership advisor. She's the founder of Corporate Dojo, which is focused on leadership and personal accountability. And she's also the author of the People Managers Toolkit. The topic today is can I be both a boss and friend? What do you think? Depends is the ah. answer. <laughs> Look, I think it, what it depends on yes. is your ability to do the boss job well and right. be someone's friend. So what I find most people struggle with is once I'm actually friends with someone, I have a familiar relationship with them, it can often get tougher to hold them accountable, to be really honest with them about their performance, about their potential, where they're enabling their own success, where they're standing in their own way. And, you know, so that hesitation to have those conversations can be a really big problem. Obviously, if you have a friend who's then underperforming and the rest of the team is looking at that and saying, are you actually going to do something about this or are you going to continue to give them favoured treatment? All of that starts to then erode the leader's credibility and obviously the organisation's confidence in who they are. I have, however, seen many, many leaders have very, very close relationships with people where there's deep trust, there's deep respect and regard and even time spent together socially. But that only works when the manager's willing to do the tough stuff. And that includes, as I said, having those coaching conversations on a regular basis and being willing to make tough calls if they're necessary. And so when we're talking about being accountable and and having those conversations, is it a matter of being very conscious about the relationship? Mm. Do you have to have a chat about Mm. it? I think you do. I think, you know, depending on where things began. So if you're actually hiring somebody in who's already your friend, clearly before you even start to go down that path, um, but forming those relationships whilst at work, again, you need to be very careful about what it might mean for the rest of the team's engagement and people's perceptions of your judgment, your professionalism, your ability to separate the issues. So, um, you know, again, I do think a mature conversation about, you know, I think out of respect for the rest of the organisation, we need to make maintain our interactions at a very professional level. You know, yes, we can be warm and friendly to one another, but we shouldn't be standing around having a big social chat and laugh in the middle of the office if, you know, that's going to um, highlight to people that there is a, a personal relationship as opposed to professional. What do you think is wrong with that? What's the thing that happens then when they see a, a personal relationship? Well, I think, again, it's the question marks. Favouritism? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Is, is yeah. It the, it's not even proof that there's favouritism. There's suspicion or concern that there's favouritism. And I learned very, very early in my career this lesson directly because I had met somebody in my team that we personally just connected. You know, we had a lot in common. I was a very young manager early in my career and and just really liked this person. And that person had put up their hand for a promotion within the department and a couple of other people had as well. I had utmost confidence that I could separate the issues and and select the right person for the job, but made the terrible mistake of choosing to go to lunch with that friend the day before the decision was due to be made. And so I was rightfully, I believe, called into my general manager's office and her question was, what were you thinking? Everyone's now running around questioning whether or not that person's going to get the job because you're friends. Mm. So again, it was that very good lesson around that awareness of what could this say? And, you know, people need to know as a leader that I'm going to be strong and I'm going to be accountable and I'm going to do what I'm paid to do. And that is to enable people to be successful and hold them accountable to the standard of their contribution and clearly be fair and consistent across the team. 
Okay, so let's look at a scenario. So we're mates and then suddenly I get a promotion Mm -hmm. and now you're in my team, I manage you. That's right. What should I do practically at this moment now? That's right. A, choose to step into the job of being the leader. You know, one of the biggest mistakes people make in that moment is wanting to tiptoe around things, you know, wanting to be hesitant because exactly that, you know, we were colleagues, now I'm your boss, and there can be this discomfort with not wanting to be bossy, you know. Yeah, and, or and better than you. Yeah, that's it's a right. bit of embarrassment too, that's maybe. Right. Yeah. And, and trying to kind of keep ourselves on this even um, playing field. The reality is you have been putting put into a leadership role for a reason, and a leadership role is different to an individual role. A leadership role is about creating outcomes through the talent and energy of other human beings. And clearly, as an individual, it's largely about what we do. So if you are too hesitant to drive the outcomes through the people in your group because you are friends with some of them, um, you are fundamentally hesitating to do the job. So you've got to recognise that you are going to have to take responsibility for the role you've been paid to do. And so it does make sense to have conversations early with those people and say, what I want you to know is our friendship is incredibly important to me, but what's most important to me is that I'm able to have a positive difference and impact in your life. And I can't do that if I'm going to be hesitant on any level to tell you what I really see from a performance and development perspective. So, you know, if the day comes where I'm giving you constructive feedback, um, try to remember that that's my commitment to you. I'm I'm not going to now tiptoe around you and not give you feedback because that would not be in service to you. Thanks, Karen. Thank you. Karen Gately is a leadership advisor and author of the People Managers Toolkit. She's ours now. Hands off. (laughs) You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.